Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. This is the Sawn Outdoors Podcast. What up, what up, what up? Hey guys, McCade Cox here. Thanks for tuning in again to another episode of the Sawn Outdoors podcast. Exciting times here in Utah. <clears throat> uh, they just started charging credit cards for uh, all of the draws here in the state. And uh, so far, so good. We've been pretty happy with the uh, charges we've seen on our cards. Um, I drew a dedicated deer tag, which means I get to hunt mule deer for three years in a row, <clears throat> all three seasons. Um, I can harvest two mule deer during that time. I have to do some hours and, um, service hours for the division throughout those three years, but I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a fun adventure, um, quest to get me some couple, uh, nice public land general season mule deer on the ground. Um, I believe Zach has also seen a charge on his card for a general season deer tag. Um, I think he put in for rifle. Don't quote me on that one. But the charge we're hoping to see, we have not seen yet. And that's the limited entry elk tag that we are hoping uh, Zach would draw. I hope he draws it. He had about like a 78% chance, so there definitely is the chance that he did not, but fingers crossed for Zach. Um, maybe you guys have put in for Utah and you're listening to this podcast. Uh, go ahead and check your bank statements. See if you have a pending charge from uh, Salt Lake Bucks or, or whatever it says. Um, you can... You, you can't really tell which uh, unit you've drawn. Oh, it's Utah Bucks Permit Salt Lake. Uh, but but based off of the charge on your card, you'll have an idea of what you've drawn. Because every species and, and tag is a, a different amount. So <clears throat> 40 bucks, you probably drew your uh, general season deer tag. Like I said, 195 bucks. You've drawn dedicated. 285 you've drawn your limited entry elk tags. So anyway, check your cards. If you're tuning in today to this podcast, you probably saw the title. Uh, we were fortunate enough to sit down with Scott Thompson of Thompson Long Range. Um, you can gather, we talk about uh, long range shooting. It's a really fun podcast. It was something that I've been interested in for quite some time now. Um, I talk about in the podcast, but um, I won a Browning X-Bolt chambered in the 7 mag, and I've been getting really into shooting that rifle. It's been really fun because it's fairly accurate. Um, I have a nice scope on it, and I've been able to shoot several animals actually with it <clears throat> over the past couple of seasons. So um, I've been wanting to be able to shoot a little bit further. Um, just to help increase my my skills and my confidence. Um, I don't necessarily want to shoot an animal. It, 
thousand yards or anything, but you know, to be able to shoot one at five, 600 would sure be great. So, uh, Scott's an awesome guy. Can't thank him enough for giving us the, some of his time to talk about, uh, some of his passions. We talk about mule deer hunting, which he's very well versed in. We talk about the Thompson Long Range uh, Company and the shooting school that they put on. Uh, if you're interested in that, listen at the end of the podcast. We also have in the show notes some information so you can contact Thompson Long Range. If you're interested at all, don't hesitate. Their classes are filling up fast. Um, so give them a call. Get signed up. and We're actually going to be heading up to Logan here June 8th. So... We're, Scott gave us an invitation to come up, and we're going to take him up on it. And we can't wait. So kind of what we're planning on is you'll hear this episode, the before, and then once we've gone and shot here in a few weeks, um, we're, we'll release another podcast, kind of some things that we've learned um, and how the class went. So should be fun. One last thing before we get going with the podcast, I uh, want to thank King's Camo for their sponsorship of this podcast. Uh, we talk about a lot of the new things coming out from King's as we uh, dive into these podcasts. And the month of May, we're talking about these tri-blend tees and hoodies. Uh, just your le- everyday logo wear, available in a ton of colors. They're super soft, like some of the softest cotton poly fabric you've ever seen. Uh, they have the screen printed King's logo right there on the chest and they're super affordable. They start at 20 bucks. They're freaking awesome. I've been wearing mine, um, nearly every day after work and when I go up rock climbing and hiking and just around town. So, um, check them out. You can use our Sawn Outdoors promo code when you shop at kingscamo.com and you'll save yourself 15%. So, Check out, just type in Sawn Outdoors, S-A-H-N, Outdoors. Save 15%, sale items, everything. You can get you some of these tribal tees or a hoodie or, or whatever you want. Um, as you're finding out, you're drawing these tags, don't forget to pick up a pair of ridge pants, um, high top hoodie, whatever you need to get you set up for the season. Get ready for scouting season and roll right into the hunts in the fall. So without further ado, here's Scotty Thompson. the heck out of me okay not even long range shooting i think just trying to get set up <laughs> like geez i'd always borrow my dad's rifles and you know just go out there not oh hit milk jug at 200 yards i'm ready to go okay and then i missed a buck 13 times this year <laughs> buck fever got him a little yeah, bit. so that's yeah. that's what we're going to mainly focus on is it guns yeah, uh, you're well, telling well, me, yeah, yeah guns i want to talk long range i want to talk hunting mule deer okay you seem like you're pretty well versed in all of that okay so we got Scott Thompson sitting here in the booth, Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. This is the first time we've ever met you. Yeah. But we know who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're an accomplished feller. Well, I appreciate the invite. Yeah. It's nice I, to sit down and meet you guys and yeah. chat. Yeah, have a place to take a rest, right? For sure. I <laughs> uh, know there's not a lot of chairs in this place. <laughs> so tell us, give, your, give us a little sales pitch. Who's Scott Thompson? So I'm from Logan, Utah. Uh, born and raised in the hunting community. Yeah. I'm very blessed in that way. Uh, been following in my dad's footsteps in the gun stuff. Um, I've hunted everything, western big game. 
but my true passion is chasing mule deer. I don't know what's drove me there. I don't know why. It just that's what that's what feeds my soul. Any yeah. weapon, any weapon, and go. Yep. Yeah. Any place, anywhere, any terrain. And you do it all. Like you, you killed a stud buck with your bow two years ago. Yeah. I remember Utah seeing buck, that yeah. pop up. We were actually hunting up in the the cache unit with Ian. We okay. Were, we were struggling to find a deer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough season. <laughs> Look at this thing. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah, that was awesome. that was a good one. I missed opening weekend that year, and it seems like everyone who tagged out did it opening weekend. Early? Yeah. yeah. What was your story with that buck? You had some history with him? So we had a little bit of history. I had actually two bucks that I had some history with that year. And leading up to it, one was a little more inconsistent than the other. And I felt confident on the one I went in on. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what led me there. Awesome. So it was, it was a neat story. He lived in a very thick, thick terrain. Mm-hmm. So it was... Um, Trail camera? A little, kind of your... It was trail camera, yeah. But I actually located him. There were several guys hunting this buck. And um, I located him. I bumped him out of a bed. I was gridding in the area, and I knew I had to find where he was sleeping. And I don't think many, if any, had that piece of the puzzle. Right. Because where everybody was hunting him was a little more off the beaten path of where I bumped him out of his bed. And I studied the wind for probably seven, eight days straight after I bumped him out of his bed. And I knew the channel that I had to go into that canyon was one or none. So when I went in, I just intercepted him coming back to his bed that morning. That's so cool. Opening morning, I let it fly, you know, 40-yard yeah. shot. Watched, watched him awesome. die in sight. What did he end up scoring? He was 228. Good call. See, yeah. <laughs> I killed a 240 buck on the Henry Mountains. That seemed about a 228-down season deer. Generally. Trumps yeah. that any day. That's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. a cool buck. Yeah, one I'll never forget for sure. <laughs> the velvet was perfect. Yep. So the color, everything. Yep. It was awesome. Yeah, a lot darker than your buck. Oh, a lot darker. He was about a, like I always say, probably three days away from stripping. But I, he was a desert mule deer, too, mm-hmm. compared to a, I don't know if that plays in any, you know, he lived in the timber. Timber versus a lot of sunlight, desert, yeah, for sure, I would imagine. Kind of fade the, the velvet a little bit. Yeah, so. he was he was a well-known buck in town. He'd travel, you know, down to the valley for the winter range. A lot of people photographed him and stuff. And then Robbie Denning, I had the opportunity to send the jaw off to him, and he had him aged eight and a half years old, so... He was, wow. that was his biggest year at eight and a half. And wow. for the northern part of Utah, you know, we're starting to get at the tail end of the, of the mule deer's life there. And that was right. coming off of a hard winter. It was, yep. That really was a really hard winter. That was when they put the shed hunting date, extended the it back. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, lots of death, yep. mortality the rate division, was high. The division in our area was actually even, like, supporting Feeding the feed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, I remember it reading was rough. about that. It was really rough. Yes. I remember when that popped up, I was like, I mean... What are the chances that buck even made the winner? Because yep. he looked old, yep. big. He's awesome. Tough, tough animals. So tell us a little bit about Thompson Long Range. So Thompson Long Range was started by my dad in probably the early 90s. And it started just, my dad has always been one to kind of stretch the envelope. I mean, he tells stories. If you talk to him, you know, about how in his Red Rider BB gun, he'd smash the spring in there to get higher velocity out of his BB so he could get it to shoot farther, you know. <laughs> oh, or man. even it goes back to a dart gun sticking darts against the wall. He's always just kind of tried to stretch that out there. And I remember just as a kid going out to the West Desert with yeah. uh, 220 Swifts, 4570s, strange calibers, but we were shooting them, you know, 1,000 yards. And then we picked up a Weatherby 3378, kind of the king of the 30 caliber. And we started messing around with those and fell in love with them. So then we went to TK Lee Dot at the time and Premier Reticle. Had some custom reticles built that matched the trajectory. And we just started hunting with them. 
Um, we even had a few shepherd scopes. Some, some people know shepherd scopes. They date way back. And we were just building our confidence, you know, in that four, five, six hundred yard range. Yeah. When as before, I remember, I mean, my first bucks were shot with a 30-30 and a 7mm with the main crosshair, you know, 225 yards. That was it. Hmm. And then a couple of years later, obviously, this stuff evolved. And it was actually Garth Carter and Jason Carter that come to mm-hmm. us. They'd heard that we were doing this up. And they're like, you guys got to push this. We need this in the hunting industry. So we contacted Leupold, and they actually etched our reticle. So it's our pri- proprietary reticle in our scope. Wow. And it's matching the Weatherby Magnums. So our, our concept with the, with the system is just a simple hunting setup. So it is, I mean, they're capable to 1,000 yards, and we practice to 1,000 yards. We practice to 1,200 yards with the rifles. But all in all, it's those high-speed, flat-trajectory rifles mm-hmm. that we sell and provide to the hunter that's looking for those 700 and under quick, reliable shots. So you're building people rifles. We're, we're taking factory Weatherby Take rifles. Customizing. Yeah, we're very confident in, the, in all the Weatherby Magnums. Yeah. And our scope ballistics match those calibers and a lot of those calibers are we're feeding them factory ammunition and we're still sub moa so that's awesome we started you know with weatherby we're really confident in their product and it's been really good and not only are you customizing these rifles but you also do shooting classes courses so the class we run the class from april till august every year every single day and we have hundreds of guys fly in and they actually pull a brand new box out of the rifle put it together go hands-on, understand how to properly mount a scope. We go over ballistics. We go over hand loads, all that stuff, load development. That's what I need. That stuff I don't know. And, I mean, we just basically touch the simplicity of all of it. I mean, most people, I think, you know, when my dad was getting me into reloading, I'm like, geez, I'm going to blow something up. Something's going to happen. This is scary. But once you get involved in it, you can't stop. It's an addiction. Yeah. Like, you just, it's so awesome to be able to, it's like tying flies for your fly rod and stuff like that. It's very simple, and once you have it, you you don't want to go back to factory ammo. Well, and I think that's what it is for me is that it is probably very simple, but when I look at that stuff, it looks intimidating. Right. Like, I don't know where to start. I don't even know how to make sense of what I'm reading. Uh-huh. And even when you look at buying reloading stuff, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to spend like $3,000 just to get everything first. Right. And then I'm going to try to do something I don't really understand. Yeah. So that, that for me, that personally, that's like, oh, man. And, you know, it's like that with so many things. It's like that in the, in the hunting industry with everything. The long-range rifles, I mean, you, the sky's the limit nowadays. Mm-hmm. You can go with twelve, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 rifles. And some people look at it, and they don't even know where to start. Yeah. But, honestly, there's simplicity in all things. And in the reloading world, there's very, very simple ways to get started and be just as productive as if you had the crazy, crazy top-end stuff. Okay. It's just See, all about consistency and, you know, having the right gear and the confidence. Yeah. As I've been wanting to get up and take one of your courses because yeah, I'm very interested in it. I, I've started just the last couple of years getting into rifle uh-huh. hunting, and um, I picked up a – I actually won a um, Browning 7 mag okay. uh, X-Bolt. I was, <laughs> I was a week away from buying it and ended up picking a different caliber and rifle altogether, and then I ended up at a show, at a sportsman's show, <laughs> won it. And I'm like, perfect. And I, that thing has become like – one of my favorite things in the world right and uh i'm feeling confident you know 350 yards mm-hmm. but i, I want to stretch that envelope i had a, an, a mule deer tag up in idaho this year and i got a little bit of buck fever and i ranged this bucket just over 350 yards and i'm like i've been making this shot all summer long like and then 
time came to pull the trigger, and I'm like shaking. Right? <laughs> I'm trying to calm myself down, and yeah, let's just say it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, there, there's, I need to, you know, get these techniques. I know that it's a lot in just uh, practice and For learning, sure. learning the proper techniques and getting in these habits, right? Yeah. It's the confidence. I mean, you guys are obviously big time archers. Yeah. So I mean, where do you shoot your bows? You shoot them at. 20 and 30 or do you stretch them out to 70 80 90 and 100 yards you got to be confident yeah further you stretch out, right? your mm-hmm. way out there and then you know those 20 30 40 yard shots are just chip shots yeah right. same thing same concept with the rifles know your equipment know its capabilities do the right thing first and start with good equipment you know yeah. it's it's really an easy thing to get a hold of see i worked down at cow ranch while i was going to school down in st george and people would come in all the time and they'd spend eight nine hundred dollars on a rifle mm-hmm but then they put a $100 scope on right. it. And I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Yep. You know, That's... like to me, I would much rather buy a mid-range mm-hmm. gun and put a decent scope on it to kind of get the full. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate or if that's really how it no, works, you're you know. Ex- but you're exactly right. I mean, because there's all these people buying like, oh, about a $1,000 gun, but then they've just got a Bushnell scope on it. Yeah. Like, no, mm-hmm. it's, you're spot on. I think, I think you can take a, even a run-of-the-mill bottom-of-the-barrel gun. Put good optics on it, and once you feed that rifle or find what that rifle likes, every rifle is a good rifle. It's yeah. just putting the package together and making sure that it holds zero, and not holding zero just at the range, but I mean actually just destroying this rifle. Horses, four wheelers, however you hunt, just something that will absolutely stay on zero. So how do you start to figure out what a gun likes? Obviously reloading, uh-huh. powder charge, whatever. Yep. How do you it, like? How do you know? I mean, like, if you go out and shoot, uh-huh. you're like, oh man. That that was too hot, or this, you know. How do you, how do you know? I I have no idea. This is a completely. I don't even know if I'm phrasing the question right. But <laughs> no, I mean that's a very big question. Yeah, right. But right. I mean to simplify it, like let's take like a 270 for example. You know, you've got it. You want to start in the direction of the material you want to hunt. So elk, you want to focus it toward elk. You want to focus focus toward deer. What do you want to focus on? And then also, you know, you want to know the capabilities of a 270. So let's use a Weatherby mag. You know. You've got 140 is maybe your average bullet pushed through a 270, whether it be mag. And you've got a velocity of about 3350 to 3400. So your killing range or your energy levels and your velocity levels are out there around that 800-yard range So on to be effective on mule deer, elk, whatever. And you just start by gathering that information and applying it to how you want to use the material. Okay. And, um, I mean, we've always been about velocity. Speed kills and then fast and flat, you knock out a lot of um, the wind factors, the barometric pressure factors, all that stuff. So you don't have to worry about it as much. But um, starting, I mean, a lot of guys will start with factory ammunition. They'll go buy a couple of different ones, run them through their gun and get a start there. And then you have brass, mm-hmm. once fired brass, you know, it's, that's, that's a big question. question it's hard to start, you know, right, right, pinpoint, right. but <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Find, just deciding what you want to hunt, what you want this gun to do, how you want it to perform, the distances you want to hunt and be ethical with. Mm-hmm. And just start there and then base it, build a package around that. Okay. I mean, some guys will just go buy something big, buy something small, and then they they have to work around that, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So bullet performance, you know, just what you want to hunt with your rifle. That's where you right. gotta. That's where you gotta figure out. What's your favorite bullet? Um, we're a big nozzle fan. Nozzle. 
Yeah, the nozzle partition is what we started with years ago. Everybody knows the nozzle partition. It's been it's phenomenal bullet. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we converted over to the AccuBond. The AccuBond has performed well for years. Um, the bullet industry is crazy. It's I mean, they are coming out with awesome stuff. We test all this new stuff. We run all this stuff. But still, we, we run the AccuBond in most rifles. Okay. It's good to know. It's so crazy how deep and, like, how wide these subjects can get. You, you think something can be so basic, and then you get into it. Yeah. It's like you got to pick a caliber. you got to pick your bullets, your ammo, your optics. But, again, everything. I mean simplicity yeah. in everything, I yeah. promise. Don't get overwhelmed with it. It's right. <laughs> that, yeah, that's we, how it is. Once you get into it, then you're like, oh, why was I making this such yeah. a big deal? I think yeah. it's like – I mean, just a quick comparison. I've never torn down an, an engine before. My dad's restoring a car, and he's like, hey, I got this 350 Chevy. we got to tear it down and tear it down. I'm like, wow, an engine is really absolutely nothing. Right. There's just a few parts to it. But when I looked at the whole thing, I'm like, Dad, I don't think I could help you with this. I don't know what I'm doing. And then you do it, and you're like, oh. That's easy. Okay. That's a great comparison. And, you know, for guys that come into our class and to have never shot past 300 yards, yeah, they come in, they put a rifle together, and in a day, so an evening and a morning, that whole package is put together. They feel confident in it, and then they take it and they make you know a, one, a sub MOA group on a thousand yard plate. They're just like, okay, I stressed about this way too much. This was way, it, way don't you too easy. That we guarantee you're going to be able to shoot a thousand yeah. yards yeah. at the end of our class. And we do like, all women and children for free, yeah. and we get them on the plate. I mean, yeah, it's 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 been an awesome run. It's fun to see it. That's cool. I bet that's really rewarding when people just feel like, oh man, mm -hmm. like. I can do this. Yep. I can do this. And, but, you know, I, I, had a, I had the chance to sit down with Jason Carter and talk long range. And it's not that we're building a system to go out and shoot stuff at eight, nine, and 1,000 yards. The capability, the possibility is there, but it's your confidence from three to five, those yeah. average hunting shots that we're <laughs> getting into. And then, you know, Jason told a story, or Adam Bronson, one of them, you know, a guy wounded a sheep at 200 yards, and it got out there six, seven, and it was getting away. And this guy had the equipment to make, like, I think it was an 800-yard shot, drop the sheep in his tracks after he'd been hit. I mean, you, it's, it's so good to have that equipment. And just very true. And the confidence in it. Doesn't mean you're always doing Not it. Not ever. But yeah. if, you, if something happened in that case, yeah. you don't want to let a wounded animal get away. Yeah. If you have the capability to, to end it. I mean, and yeah. most people scout hard nowadays, you know. Yeah. And when you scout and you find the animal you're hunting, you want to set up for those three to 600-yard shots. I mean, scouting, yeah, you're, you're at the 1800s, the 1500 yards, you know, scouting stuff. But setting up and trying to harvest an animal, you want to be in that three to 600 yard. And that's what our equipment is designed to do, just quick hunting three to 600 yard stuff. Yeah. So how do you feel about the – because in St. George, there's a lot of guys who prided themselves on their long-range shooting. Mm -hmm. And so there are those who go out to the range, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. But then you had those guys, and this is where kind of, you know, I don't know how you feel about, like, the ethical part of it. You have some guys who are like, no, I'm not going to kill a deer unless it's 1,500 yards away. They turn it into that. Like, how do you feel about that being in the long-range industry? Like, it's not necessary, but they turn it, you know, and they're like, yeah, I, this one got away. I hit it in the, you know, back corner. It's like, well, why not try to get Close within 400 yards yeah. if you can't? Well, that's not fun to me. Yeah. Well, then you just go shoot a exploding target then, or right. I don't know, you know. No. I think, I mean, that is a question that can get drilled over and it over. It can. But, I mean, I'm a big-time hunter, and mm -hmm. I respect the animals I hunt. And long-range, people say that gives us a huge advantage. 
I mean, it's given us a little bit of advantage. And those guys that stretch the envelope and go way beyond, I feel like, I don't know, there's there's a barrier of being ethical. Right. And a lot of it is in the confidence that you apply to yourself and how often you shoot. And Right. I mean, for the guy that goes and buys an awesome long-range setup, shoots it twice and then goes and harvests an 1100 yard or an animal 1100 yards and he thinks that's the greatest thing ever i mean was he prepared for that shot was it a lucky shot i i look at some of them and i shake my head i'll be honest yeah Yeah. that's why i say i prefer to have a system that can do it if Mm -hmm. i need it but i don't rely on it i don't ever want to rely on it i want to practice it i think there's a fine line between sport and respect for the animal you know it's really Mm -hmm. fine and so that's right because sometimes i'm like oh yeah well that guy is 77 years old Mm -hmm. he isn't going to be able to hike up there he's just not capable but he's capable behind his gun Mm -hmm. and like if it's like that but when i see somebody like us and they're just like yeah i just don't really feel like walking up there let me just see if i can you know preparation plays a part of the ethical i I think so i think so but i that's just my only like i've always wanted to be able to shoot further but then i get a little sour taste in my mouth just when some people are like just dropping yeah. bombs for yeah, fun. Yeah, just dropping bombs for yeah, fun. I, t- I don't agree yeah. with it at all. I mean, it's like, cool, you can do that. Yep. But if you have an opportunity to get a little closer, I don't know. That's just me, yeah. you know. So Let's talk optics a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I know there's there's a lot out there in optics. There's different focal planes and things. What's kind of like a, a, a good optic setup for someone who's just getting started into it? Okay. What do you prefer? You know, over the years, I've kind of watched this kind of curve. Yeah. So we've always run a 14-power max scope. People say that's not enough. I've seen guys go up to the 25s and the 30s, and now I'm starting to see them come back to the 14s, 16s, maybe an 18. You've got to remember, the lower the power, the more field of view you have, the better light quality you have, and the better picture, or acquiring a target quicker. Yeah, right. All that is You're better on a lower close. power. <laughs> so I'm, not, really I'm not joking. I pull up a 20-power, 20 25-power scope, and I can't handle it. Yeah. Some guys, that's all they'll do. I mean, it's personal preference, mm-hmm. but as a starting point, if you haven't got into it and you're looking to get into it, I would start in that 14 to 16 range because, I mean, you can acquire targets. Mm-hmm. You can pull a lot of light and, um, you know, heat rush. But in Utah, we got to deal with a lot of that. Yeah. You don't have to deal with that as much. Um, a lot of guys, you know, will say, well, crank the power down and crank it back up to find your target. But I am, again, I, I want simplicity. Yeah. I want yeah. fast. I, 14 is where we cap ours. Interesting. You're cool. doing that what a- hang thing over there. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. What about uh, the focal plane? What's your preference? Uh, first and second focal plane. That's again personal preference. Yeah. It's to understand that and there's, there's the a concepts lot behind it. that. Yeah. I it's personal preference. Gotcha. You just got to look through them and decide. Look, this is what I want. <laughs> this is what I want. Yeah. So when you were talking about building a, a setup that can hold zero from mm-hmm. bouncing on the four wheeler, doing all that. So how do you do that? What's what goes into that? Because Everyone's so careful, right? They're like, right. oh, I just bumped my gun. Right. My mom, we had that happen. My yeah. mom had a bull elk tag up on the Wasatch that she won a tag from here. And third step of the whole entire hunt is frosty. She slipped, mm-hmm. hit the scope, and she missed a 360 bullet from 200 yards. Right. And she'd been hitting that 400 Dead easy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Yeah, we didn't crap. know why she was missing. We're like, she, she's not getting butt fever like that yeah. bad. We just quickly took it into sportsman's that Sunday night. And just said, hey, can you guys just put a bore sight on this? And let's just see where it, and the bore sight was barely even in the scope. She had hit it so hard. And I was like, oh, well, Mom, 
it's good to know it's not you. Right. Like, so take that pressure off yourself. It was just bad luck. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you how do you build a setup like that? It's going to hold zero. Obviously, you can't just run it over yeah. and expect it to hold, but... I mean, you be can, a little aggressive with it. It's it's the equipment you put on there. I mean, number one is going to be an optic. You want an optic that's a higher end optic that's not going to get shook around, bounced around. I mean, you can take a cheap cheap scope, and go to the range. It's going to bounce all over just shooting it. Just the mm-hmm. recoil of the rifle is going to bounce right. it all over. But you get high quality optics, and then the mounting system. The mounting system is probably the most important. You know, lapping your rings, torquing your specs to whatever you know mm-hmm. factory recommends, and just locking that thing in. I think. The most most thing I see done wrong is not lapping the rings. Now, what does that mean for so those who are listening? You think about when you set a scope in two rings, okay? And, um, I mean, some of the higher, higher-end stuff, it's not required because they're already squared. But most, like, most ring systems out there, you need to lap them. So you're creating a bed for that scope to lay in. So, for example, you could have had one of the rings twisted a little bit with your mom's incident. Mm-hmm. And you've got pressure unlike let's say the rear ring is kind of holding and pinching the scope so as soon as that bumps it just wants to move it'll go that way yeah. right so if that thing has a bed that is just solid so a lapping bar is just something you run in between the rings you find them from wheeler you find them all over okay okay and it just creates the perfect bed for that scope to lay in and once that thing is in there it has a hard time wanting to get bounced around and shook around and move around okay and then obviously you know the torques and stuff like that that you want to you want to go with your recommendations from the factories, and that stuff is all there for a reason. And it's just to a lot help of people don't even zero. read the manual. No, it says please read manual before using. A lot yeah. of people, are, I know what trash. I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a couple of screwdrivers from the toolbox, hook it on, and they're gone. Right, no torque, yeah. nothing. <laughs> like I don't know how tight that is. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing is, is you know, making sure that the tail of the reticle is through the center of the board. So if you hold a, if you use a holdover reticle or a long range system, you have to have that scope square. If you think if it's, you know, clicked off a little bit on your wristwatch, one minute is like 60 inches at 1,000 yards. So you cannot have the scope canted or you, mm-hmm. can't, you can't cant the rifle yourself. So your setup is You have to have all that level just like on the archery equipment. Right. Wow. So, again, one. a lot but very, very simple, simple ways to fix it all. There's a lot of different types of mounting rings and, mm-hmm. you know, mounts. And uh, I've talked to some guys, and I, I'm sure it's, again, a pre- personal preference, but I, I think that there probably are some different styles that are better than others at holding tighter. Have, have you found some that uh, work well for you? So we've always run the dual dovetail system from Loophole. Okay. And we've had extremely good luck with it. Several guys run a Picatinny yeah. with, that, with that system. And, I mean, that's, that's locked on there well, too. And the weavers and... Yeah, the Weaver system. Um, I was going back and forth uh, at Sportsman's between the Weaver and the Dovetail, and I went with the Loophole Dovetail. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in that system. We've used it for yeah. years, and once again, once you have that scope in there square mm-hmm. in the dual Dovetail system, I mean, it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, we absolutely abuse our rifles. That's what they're for. I mean, right. we go hunting. We're not going to the yeah. range every morning. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to baby that thing yeah. in situations, yeah. you know? <laughs> oh man yeah. just thinking about maybe possibly drawing an elk tag right now i'm getting anxious just because i'm like i do not want to have a gun mishap i'm terrified right now yeah zach uh has quite a few points here in utah and decided to this is the year to we'll try so he's, he's cash him in yeah yeah so i i that's like i was telling you before we started the podcast i i had a, a decent sized buck this year on the general unit 
And I'd never shot laying completely down. Mm -hmm. But the, the angle, everything in the basin was horrible. Uh, I had to rush my shot a little bit because some other things that were going on. But I was laying completely flat on my back, holding on my knee, trying to get the angle. And shot, nothing. What the heck is going on? Shot again, shot again. And so now my confidence, that's the thing. Yep. Is my confidence right now is just like, nothing. man. So for Christmas got me, you know, not a, a really expensive uh, rifle scope, but just a, a decent vortex. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to practice and practice and practice. Yep. So I don't know. What are some uh, key things for people that are starting out shooting to make sure that they're doing to uh, to have a more steady, accurate shot as um, far as their body positioning and, and whatnot? You know, the bipod on a bag is a lot of people look down on that, or I, I see so many guys with no bipods. A bipod is so important. I'll, I won't go anywhere without a bipod. And a, yeah, a lot of people are trying to shave ounces, and I'm not going to put a yeah. bipod. A bipod on the front and a bag in the rear to support the rear of the rifle is yeah. phenomenal. Even when hunting? Even when hunting. So you just pack a two-pound bag? I actually will use, so my backpack that I use is has a little bit of you know structure to it. Right. So that I can roll it if I've got all my clothes on. I can roll the bag itself for that rear support. Oh, okay. I Perfect. don't have a super lightweight backpack that I can't get that rear support. Mm -hmm. um, the ultimate thing is, you know, if I got a coat or something in there, that yeah. I can stack that up on there. Okay, gotcha. But the natural recoil of that rifle—that's what creates accuracy, consistency, and that's what you want to have. I mean, you can't—you can't make a freehand shot, you know, at a, at a good distance. Yeah. It's just not—not not the right idea. What's the length uh, of your bipod? There's some different size ranges that you, so you go for shorter. Again, the, the industry is just blowing up in that, too. <laughs> I, know. So, I know. We've run the Harris. The Harris is one right. of the originals with the swivel yep. out front. Yeah. And we run the long one. I think the it's long. a 14 to 20. I'm probably botching this, but I think it's like a it's okay. 14 yeah. to 27. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I can shoot. I can sit and shoot it. And um, then laying down, it's perfect. You see a lot of guys use the little ones. Um, I can't do a little one when I'm hunting. Off the bench, I love a little one. But it seems like you're limiting field. yourself a lot with the little one. Because, yeah. I mean, you're never going to have, like, this flat shot. There's then, crazy yeah. angles. How many times are you in, you know, 14, 18 inches of sage or whatever brush? Snow. you got to get that <laughs> thing up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. right. So I run a long one. Okay. Awesome. That and you would, you'd prefer that over shooting sticks? Oh, yeah. Any day. Any day. Yeah. Worth a little bit extra weight. Yeah. And then, and then just the extra time to set up. Just yeah. just that. I mean, it's a split second. Yeah. It doesn't take long, but your shot is guaranteed, you know, in that, in that close range distance. Yeah. Yeah, shooting sticks, I mean, they, have their, they obviously have their place. If you're just yeah. steel hunting or something like that and the shooting right. sticks are a must, then great. But bipod is, is what I prefer. Awesome. Oh. Now I gotta get a bipod. Okay, okay. <laughs> We're I'm in just a great making place to go look. I know. Making a Christmas I'm list making right now. a list right now. No, this has got to be like a now soon. list. Yeah, this is gonna be an he April first. Already, so he's he's got like an eighty percent chance of drawing the tag that he wants. Yeah, so we'll see. We got to get him shooting good. There's not going to be 19 chances. Well, year. I was the most <laughs> confident shooter. I've never shot more than one bullet at an animal before, mm -hmm. and then this year happened, and I'm just like, well, cool. Here we go. Let's just. Huh? You're just going to go <laughs> shoot my limited entry bowl with no confidence, so i got to start shooting soon. Right. Confidence let, let is everything. Let the snow melt a little bit. Yep. So back back to those like basics, getting getting a good setup, having a steady rest. Um, obviously, prone shots are way more accurate. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're minimizing movement. 
to the, the max. Um, what else? Is breathing play a big part in it? I mean, it does, but I mean, when we bring guys in and we teach this you stuff, teach you, stuff, you know, it's We're a lot the, of it is natural. Yeah. You know, you want to stick with what is comfortable to you. And I mean, unless you've different. got a terrible habit, we're going to try and fix it. But most hunters have a natural good, you know, position that they'd like to shoot from. And we just critique that a little bit and work with them. And like I said, I've seen everything and we've made everything work. How can you minimize the flinch? That's my big thing. Um, I think recoil is the biggest thing to flinch. Really? So you guys run muzzle brakes or no muzzle brakes? Muzzle brake. Okay. Yeah. So for most people, they don't run, and a lot of people don't run muzzle brakes, and that's, I think, the biggest thing to flinch. But other than that, I think it's watching impact. That's what I try to tell every guy that comes through this course. I want you to watch that bullet hit. And they're so focused on their target and, you know, their aim point, and they're trying to watch that bullet impact, and then all of this trigger pull, all this so stuff is out. don't think about this, what's going on yeah, here. This should become pretty natural yeah. after you've practiced so much. You know your trigger pull, your breathing, and all that comfort zone. That should become pretty natural. But watching impact is probably, you know, just for a generic guy that's just getting started and want and, you know, has some bad habits. Yeah. Just try to watch impact. Um, you, you know, obviously you can't have a rifle that has a lot of recoil. You need to put a brake on it to watch impact, to be able to watch impact. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing is the lightweight guns. A lot of guys are big into the ultra, ultra lightweight. And I'm not a sheep hunter. And probably for a sheep application, they got to have it. But for my everyday, you know, Western hunting, I prefer a little bit heavier of a rifle just for the stability. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want one that's super heavy and I can't freehand, but a little bit of weight goes a long ways. Do you know about what, what your setup weighs? Uh, we're just over 10. 10 pounds. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's not usually bad. about 8 to 10, 11 is what I've yep. heard, yeah. your average. That's I mean, guys are shaving yeah. so much weight off them nowadays, though, and I just, I would have a hard time, I think, shooting a super lightweight rifle. Yeah, it's just like less. shooting, like, a tiny concealed carry gun trying to stay <laughs> on target, right? Uh -huh. You can hit yourself in the face. Well, you want you you want to minimize any chance of uh, an error, right? Mm -hmm. And if you add a little bit extra weight, you, I don't know, we were talking about counting ounces the other day, and it's like, once something's heavy, it's heavy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? What's another 20 pounds? It's heavy. <laughs> and so if, if that can help you minimize any, any chance of an error, then why not? Yep. Right. Not yeah. Um, how do people get signed up for your class? Is, is this something that books up quick? How many students are in your class? Like I said, we run, you know, 100 or so, a couple hundred through a year. Okay. And we run it from April to August every single day. Yeah. That's uh, kind of weather permitted. We'll do some custom, you know, ones if they need something in the wintertime. We have access to the range. It's our own private range. Awesome. But uh, they can just look us up on our website. It's thompsonlongrange.com. Okay. And uh, they just call in or request, you know, via email on the website. Yeah. Um, if they call in, they'll probably talk to me and we'll get you taken care of. Yeah. Is this a single-day class? So for, for people around like Utah that are in driving distance, we do a day course, but I only do a few a year. Okay. But for most clients, they fly in. So it's a fly-in. We start about 2.30 the first day. We go into the evening with all the indoor stuff. And then the following morning, we go to the range. So it's a in one day, out the next day. Okay. Usually so, a two-day class. Well, a guy can fly in one day and it's fly kind of, out the next. So we're done, done by midday the next day. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So guys with busy schedules, they want yeah. to come in, get out, go. Is it all through the week, weekends? Every day. Every day. Every, Every day. day. This, is, this is the business. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get in on this. I need to buy a rifle, and then we need to get in on this. <laughs> you, you guys just come up. It's on me. And then you can go wow. pick your rifles. 
Just, you just come see what's going on. Have a good time. Dude, and then you I can go that. And a lot of guys that. do that. You know, I mean, we yeah. sell a lot of the rifles that they put together. But, again, if we're just trying to get people a head start, get them in the right direction so they can get going on the path that they need to be successful in, in rifle hunting. So that's that'd, awesome. be, that'd be huge. A lot of guys will go, they'll go home and apply it to their sell, their own equipment, or a lot of guys will purchase our stuff. Doesn't matter. Yeah, we just want cool. it. It's fun getting those guys going in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. What, what's like kind of the the area as far as your guys' setup? If somebody was to show up and say, "Hey, I want your your most basic setup you got," kind of what a, what do you expect there? So if they come take the class, which is fifteen fifty for the two day class, we sell them the complete package, the rifle, everything ready to go. It's thirty two hundred. Okay. If you just phone in and call me and say I want a rifle that's ready to go, it's thirty nine hundred. We send it to an FFL in your area, and then I spend about an hour on the phone with you once you have the rifle in your hands. Just, just going over everything, it. yep. But we give them the discount on the rifle because we want them to come. Yeah, right. We want them to know how it was put together, and we want them to see the confidence right away, or have the confidence right away. build the confidence, yep. I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and that's huge. And the fact that you spend the time on the phone with them, too, even if they order straight from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of people are just like, yeah, I got the money. Who cares about the rest? <laughs> that's awesome that you're like, no. It's like it's it's a creation, right? It's like the, does each gun kind of have a special place in your heart, or is it oh, like yeah. that, I mean, or is it just kind of We've been doing like, this for a long, long time, and it's yeah. been so I don't know. It's been an awesome run. It's been yeah. fun to see all the successful hunters get the pictures every year, and I mean they just love the setup, and it's uh, it's yeah. Each one is different, and that's I don't cool. Know. That is crazy how each gun's a little different. Yeah. Everyone is. A little you try different. to make them exactly, but they're you can't. They got their own little personality. Yep. Yeah. They each like ammo differently. Yeah, that's, that's cool. It's frustrating sometimes, but cool. <laughs> yeah, this long range thing has really taken off in the last five, ten years. Yeah, it seems like. I really. And that, it's cool that you get you guys were into it before it was like a big thing. It yeah. seems like uh, now everybody wants it. So we had booths here, you know, years and years ago, and I remember it was negativity like crazy. People did not like the idea of long-range right. shooting. But you got to think about this. This goes back 100 years. I mean, the 50, 90, the 45, 70s, all these guys are making 1,000-yard shots on Buffalo. It's nothing new. Yeah. These guys, I mean, it, we just have updated the system. Right. Things Use have technology. Gotten a lot better. Gotten, yeah. But when we did start, you know, we were, we were kind of ahead of the curve. And, um, I, yeah, it was a lot of negative stuff but sure. we still have it, the same program the same system the same for all the years nothing's changed that's cool that's yeah. cool it's a it's a hardened product you know it works why mess with it yeah i mean we're always trying the new stuff we're always playing with the cool new features but at the end of the day when i go hunting the same set, i mean my rifle's 14 years old my personal rifle so wow but if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah, right. exactly mm-hmm. you hear that a lot from Especially the guys that perfected their, their craft yeah. Yeah. archery guys are like oh i'm not getting a new bow why well, get a new bow every year yeah it's my lucky bow you know yeah talk yeah. to us a little bit about mule deer you're a mule deer nut i am my poor wife puts up a lot <laughs> <laughs> in fact she's sitting right here she by is. you <laughs> that's um, awesome mule deer have become i don't know what it is but it's what i eat sleep and drink and it's 365 days a year when yeah. did it really hit you when did your just addiction just boom uh I, like i said my dad was an outdoorsman he was a hunter and i've always he's chased big muleys you know but i think 16 years old as soon as they opened they gave me the keys to my truck i'm this is it this is <laughs> yeah. what i want right that's cool there's no question where you were at it's yeah. just which ridge and you know i chased <laughs> i chased the big elk for a long time we have some great units up in northern utah and it was fun, but it just wasn't 
my true love. The mule deer is what it is. And um, I think it's just that you can chase them all over the western United States. There are big deer in each unit. I mean, they're hard to find, but they're out there. And the bulls, I, I feel like... That's not quite the case. Yeah, you can go find some 300-inch bulls and stuff like that in different units, over-the-counter stuff. But I like that over-the-counter, easy-to-draw tags. And the elusive mule deer, I just feel like my that's that's me. That's what yeah. I like to do. And they're all a little bit different. They are. As I'm learning. You yeah. Know? yeah, it's like a fingerprint. That's really yeah. cool how unique they can be. Just like we were talking with the difference of velvet on your bucks. Yeah. From, from in one state. Yeah. Velvet a lot darker up there in cash. Yep. And then... Really desert, light tan down on the Henrys. And that's what a lot of people, when I killed that buck, they're like, so you either go one way when you kill a big buck. You're either like, well, scratch that itch. I'm good to go. You know, I don't care what I And for me, it's the exact opposite. It's like, no. I want more. Now I want more. Mm-hmm. And to, to shoot a 200-inch general season deer, that's my next goal. That's what I want, you right. know. So it just it just entrenched me even more into it. So. It was, kind of, it was kind of cool because, you know, in high school I hunted a little bit. But sports were my focus. And then I went on a mission, came back, and I was like, okay, hunting. Hunting is now my new sport. Started getting into it and, like, really hardcore getting spotting scopes, finally jumping in all the way. And then I drew that tag. And then people were like, oh, you're going to be – you just ruined yourself. And I was like, well, if I draw a Henry Mountain tag again, then, yeah, it's going to be hard to not shoot something right. similar. But as far you know, my perspective on a general season unit, it's it's still there. It, I I know how hard it is to kill a big buck, but that's mm-hmm. what drives you. Oh yeah, you know. So that's how it is for me. Yeah, that's the general thing. The general chase is I don't know what it is, but that's what I love. I like the the challenge probably. Yeah. yeah. No, What's I'm, the look you're going for with a buck? With a buck? Yeah. What, um. What gets you going? Just big, heavy, whatever. Yeah. Big and, heavy. and you know, I just love. I love being able to find one, and, like, I love a three-year program. A three-year program is probably my ultimate favorite. I'll find a nice buck, watch him for, you know, two, three years, and then harvest him. So. Oh, okay. That's so let's <laughs> talk about that. Okay, so that's my hardest thing to do, especially on a general unit. Okay. You know, me and Jeff Baird have gone back and forth about it because he's like, let them grow, let them grow. I'm like, I can't let them grow when there's 1,100 orange vests around me, you know, and they can see this buck. <laughs> like, it's hard for me to say I'm going to – just let them grow because you just don't know. So how do you do it? I mean, obviously, if you get back into an area and you're not seeing a lot of people, you know, Sean Morgan is known for doing that with the big bucks that he's been killing he's on the really archery good. season. Uh-huh. Um, I just, I get nervous. No, Spine the buck. I'm right there with you. I mean, I had one this year, you know, that wasn't the biggest buck, but I like the look of the buck. Um, I mean, he was probably up there in his age, but I harvested him. If I waited him, could he put him in there next year? I don't know. He's in a highly hunted area. But the ones that really drive me are the ones that I find off the beaten path. I mean, they can be right next to the road, but nobody knows they're there. Right. And I'll watch them, and I'll watch this area. And once I make it through the first year, and I see them just sit down there in their little nest, and nobody touches them. I'm Makes like, you oh, feel yes, a little better. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. this one's going to happen, so I'll put him on my program. You know, he's yeah. the one, he's one that I'm going to try and grow. God oh, dang, now I want to go like deep. Put him on my program. That is awesome. That is good. And um, there's some of those that people just overlook. And then some of them are deep, you know, hard to get to. Yeah. And then you've got some that, geez, you get in a canyon that you think you're good to go, and it's crowded as can be. Yeah. Those those are tough. Those are what I try to avoid. Yeah. <sighs> See? Gosh, dang it. I always, <laughs> I always like, like, okay, I have never packed this deep into the backcountry before. And then it's like, 
And uh, obviously it's not deep enough yep. because there's tons of people up here. But at the same time, when it comes to mule deer hunting, for me personally, that's also another aspect. Instead of making it piss me off, it's now like, okay, I'm going to out-hunt you. I, I love that, too. I'm going to out-glass you. Cool, you can hike. That's cool. You got yep. here. But let's see your patience. I'm going to sit on this knob for at least four hours before I move. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to see you just bounce around, bounce around, and you're going to miss them. So I, I've had to do that, or else it'll just eat at me right. and say, okay, I can't be here anymore. i got to go get in the truck, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Instead, I have to think of it that way. Okay, it's competition. Let's see who's going to have the patience to out-hunt each other kind right. of thing. They don't know it, <laughs> but I'm, ta- I'm talking smack. Game. I'm yeah. talking smack. Like, yeah. Bring it on, dude. And that's the other general <laughs> season thing, you know. We can hunt these bucks year after year after year over the counter. Right. Yeah. That's why I don't like chasing the, the draw tags. Yeah. That's a one and done. So do you have any limited entry points? I got all of them. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I what are you closest to drawing? I haven't applied in probably eight years. Just, Just buying points. bonus points? Yep. That's what I did so with my So when I'm elk. old and broke down and can't do it anymore, then I'm going for my limited entry. And that's how I feel about backcountry <laughs> hunting. I'm like, I got to do it now. Yep. You know, just pack, throw a 60-pound pack on, go hike up there, and then then once I get a little older, okay, now let's use a mule. Still yep. want to get in the backcountry, and then I'll road hunt when I'm yep. senile and I can't see me. <laughs> so... <laughs> But awesome. Oh. Wow, this guy's really popular. Zach's phone keeps going off. <laughs> How much uh, time are you putting into scouting every year? And when do you start? A disgusting amount. A disgusting amount. Yep. Ask his wife. <laughs> Does she go with you? <laughs> nah, a little bit. I got two kids at home, too, so uh. I bounce them up in the hills as much as I can handle. Yeah? But um, How old are they? Two and four. Two and four. You nice. just carry them around? Yeah. My boys, awesome. my, yeah, my boys into it. My girl, I don't know. She's kind of following mom's footsteps. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I start in May. Yeah? I do. And what are you looking for? I start running trail cameras, yeah. and I get them out early. I mean, a lot of this stuff is still in a transition in a lot of areas in May, and they're moving. But once again, I have a profile from the year before, so I'm trying to get those cameras there. I want to see if they made it or not. I'll give mm-hmm. those things, you know, two or three weeks. I'll move them a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then it just, I feel like May gets a lot of the stuff out there. It gets me going. Yeah. And then by the time June comes, I've got a little better plan. By the time July comes, I feel like I've got all my prospects. I've got everything lined out in, in a perfect world. Yeah, right. La- <laughs> you know, last year was tough. I don't, yeah. I don't know what was up. But July, I've got my prospects. I've got my game plans. Mm-hmm. And then come August, I'm just, I'm out. Cameras are out. I'm being patient. I'm watching them. It's almost Man, game time. You can get in all awesome. your places in May. Uh, I mean, I, st- I have to start low. Yeah, right. But I don't have, I don't hunt just high country. You know, I hunt. Hunt where the deer are. Everything. That's the thing. I was worried I wasn't going to find deer a couple years ago in Colorado. I made a mention to a friend and uh, was like, I just don't know if I'm if I'm going high enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, dude, there's low country deer, desert bucks. Like, yep. Deer everywhere. It yep. doesn't matter how high you are. Just kind of learn their terrain. Yeah, just find out where they are. And I guess is that that's just what you're doing. You're watching where they are and where they're going. Yeah, I mean, learning their habits. I got on my every year my home unit. You know, mm-hmm. I have ten thousand, and I have down to fifty five hundred feet. And yeah. I cover all of it. Those nice. deer, you know, some deer have uh, all of them have different habits. Right. But I'm trying to cover whichever ones I like. That makes so. sense. That's awesome. And then the different states, you know, run all over. Yeah. Chasing different states. Are you putting cameras in every state? Uh, not every state, no. I guess not every state allows cameras, first right. of all. But. No, but, and then a lot of it depends on how often I can get a tag. You know, yeah. like Wyoming, we can't do that every year anymore. 
so I don't run. I wouldn't waste time with cameras. That's gotcha. all. I would dedicate the June July time for Wyoming if gotcha. I drew a Wyoming tag. Idaho, you know, I hunt Idaho every year, so I can try and program different bucks and chase the same buck. When you say Idaho, are you just talking like a couple miles north? Well, <laughs> Idaho is. That's I love Idaho. Idaho is probably my favorite. Yeah. Because of the the opportunities you have with an over the counter tag. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you open a pro, anybody can open a proclamation with one tag. With from archery to rifle, you can hunt from August 30th till November. I mean, you can go anywhere. Yeah, Idaho's really cool. So, I heard that they're talking about uh, possibly reducing the number of tags in their draw. I, I, I read through some of that, and that's a good thing to look into for a lot of people right now. Is yeah. the non-resident thing? You know, the residents are wanting to kick, kick some of the non-residents out. You know, I don't blame them. It's yeah. We get we get uh, possessive of our yeah, home areas, true. right? So. The non-resident tags bring a lot of money into the, the state, though, man. They do. Yeah, and that's one thing. It's hard to as a resident to come to terms with, though. You know, especially when you're out there running into all these guys from California no, and everywhere. No. And you're like, you don't want those guys there. You got to pay a little more of your tag. <laughs> you like that thirty-dollar tag? You know, let the let the out-of-state guys come. Otherwise, your tag has to go up. <laughs> no, uh, man. I did. I just. It's tough because everybody wants to hunt. Mm-hmm. And right now in our local unit, it's every third year. And I kind of got a little anxious the other day because I was like, oh, my gosh, I only have 10 more hunts basically before I'm 60. Right. We can scout every year. It's just like hunting. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know what I mean? <laughs> Some guys pick up the camera, right? Right. The video camera. Right. That's yeah. the thing. I don't know. It just, it's just kind of scary. You it know? is. And, it's and, sad. And this year on the hunt, I'm hiking up, and there's two guys in front of me get talking to them they're two california highway patrolmen mm-hmm. and they're like oh we got a friend in in this area and then they said that this area is really good i'm like how the freak do you even find out about this area <laughs> you know and people are secretive and then you have plenty who aren't very secretive and then it's like okay well just a little bit more of a you know thing to do i don't mm-hmm. know uh, it's tough yeah. but i can i can see i mean yeah it's tough to to be a resident in a state and have a lot of non-residents come in but there's got to be a medium balance you know yeah, everywhere so it does but you know it's awesome hunting industry is growing it is for sure it is becoming it's a good popular thing. it is a good thing a good conservation thing. you know look at this expo so the antelope island tag went last night for three hundred and five thousand dollars yeah that's, that's awesome. a lot of a lot of money <laughs> putting on the ground so. a lot of out-of-state money yeah. No, not, not this guy. <laughs> no, he wasn't? I don't think he was. Because I've seen him before, and I'm pretty sure he's a Utah resident. Uh-huh. I don't know, though. Yeah. Either way, Anyways, that's a lot of cash. There's a lot of cash. Yeah. Now, if we're going to go back to the Denny Osted days, yeah, he's out of state. <laughs> <laughs> but Yeah, good things happening. It's, not, it's, it's yeah. a good time to be involved. It is. It is. What's been one of your most memorable hunts? Um, they're all. We ask this to everybody. And we're going to see if you go along with the pattern. <laughs> There's a trend. There is a trend. So I'll just go with the first one that popped up. Um, I had a Nevada tag, leftover tag. And in some of the most rugged, most remote country you can imagine. And we had the time of our life watching, you know, big groups of bucks. And then I was lucky enough to harvest a 37-and-a-half-inch buck. Man, in the, in the absolute, just sheer, nasty sheep country. I mean, where yeah. he called home was unbelievable. And just to be able to put a plan together, I mean, we I couldn't obviously scout this country very much. I mm-hmm. knew he was there. I'd seen him before. But for that plan to come together and for everything to work out, that was a dream come true on a leftover out-of-state tag. Yeah. 
like That's defying cool. some odds yeah. that are against you right yeah. there. And it was with archery equipment, so dude. Yeah, that's it was oh. fun. I can't imagine pulling a bow back on a thirty-seven and a half inch wide buck. Just look at his shoulder. <laughs> Just look at his shoulder. <laughs> Don't look anywhere else. So that yeah. one, um, that one hits home. But they all, yeah. they all have their place. That's probably why. That's why you keep going. Do you yeah. get buck fever? Not really. No. You know that buck, um, the great big one. That's my biggest buck I killed two years ago in Utah. Yeah. The gentle tag. He's dead. I watched him come for probably three or four minutes, and that was a major rack of horns coming through that dark, dark timber. Yeah. <laughs> and I was calm as can be. What do you think about? I was just, I was thinking to myself, this can't be happening for one <laughs> see that's what would cause me buck fever this yeah. can't be happening and it Sets is it <gasps> don't screw it up i mean there was so many i mean i just went in there very very not a not a i mean it was a game plan it was i was sticking to it yeah but it was anything could have happened i can't remember how i wrote it in the story but i wish i could but anything could have happened and he just kept coming and he come on a string is beautiful. And I'll never forget, I pre-ranged a stump. And I clicked the rangefinder, and I'm like, my gosh, if he makes it to there, this is over. And he put his front legs over that stump. Whoa. And he tucked his head, you know, there's like chaparral in the pines. He tucked his head down in there to eat, and I'm like, this is insane. So I drew, he lifted his head, and I just, I don't know, as calm as can be. And then for him to just whirl around and tip over in right 15 there. feet i'm just like okay now something's wrong this shouldn't <laughs> something now right uh-huh. now i'm wound up because that that was too easy it was too perfect were you shaky i was after just yeah. <laughs> i mean i've chased wheel deer for a long long time and to have one finally come together that that perfect i'm like that's this is what all the time and efforts were so it's amazing that is crazy that is very uh, cool. I got chills. You said you uh, <laughs> you wrote it somewhere. Uh, let's see who I done that for Eastman's. Eastman's Eastman's cover cover story. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, year. me too. I got a pair of binoculars. What'd you get? I did too. Zeiss. <laughs> yeah, Zeiss. Yeah. I was like, I will never be able to afford another pair of these, so I got to baby these suckers. <laughs> so we can find yeah. that article and read that. Yeah. So anyone listening, go look that up. Yeah, that one was in Eastman's. Actually, you remember I what actually, month and year? I don't. I'm sorry. I actually just done another one for Eastman's this last Mueller issue and for my Idaho buck last year. Awesome. So I appreciate awesome. Todd Helms, him reaching out and yeah. always digging for some stories. That's cool. That's great. That is cool. Well, awesome, man. It's been really great to have you in the booth, break down a little bit of your knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> I, try. I really it's want awesome. to come up and, and take your course. And yeah, I'm very interested in that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. It helped me there. gain some confidence. Well, thank you. Yep. That, that's huge, man. Yep. Thank you so much. Well, appreciate that. Uh, you can look him up. He's he's not a huge social media guy, no, but he is on it's there. Very small. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Your handle Scotty Tomps. Yep. Right. Scotty underscore Tomps. I think something Thompson. like that. Yeah. Yep. You can go on there. I was just looking you up this morning, looking at that buck again. So yeah. go, go check it out. Look at his buck. Look up Thompson Long Range if you're interested in learning about long range shooting. You sign up for his course. Come to Utah. Yeah. He'll treat you good. Nobody better in the business. Get you confident. Read a lot of reviews. Have yes. you? I have. Read a I lot. went through. I was like, man. Yeah, look us up. You make the phone call. I'll probably answer the phone, and we can. I can answer yeah. any questions. Awesome, cool. man. Well, well thank you. Again. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate I appreciate you. it. Yeah.